um, the theme of power. Let me just take a word. We might say that um, we are uh, experiencing in our present time a noticeable and significant change in the consciousness of women who are experiencing the, themselves, the authority of themselves. And the first question I would like to ask is how can women, a woman, guard herself, shall we say, against imitating the way that men have used power. In, and if I expand, um, um, in the typical ways is hierarchical, of course, um, power using it um, in an authoritarian manner, and many of the forms which are questionable, both in politics, in church, in the legal profession, in other ways. Um. <clears throat> I think that women who are um, becoming uh, increasingly conscious in themselves, a part of that process um, involves being aware of the dynamic of power because it is one of the primary ingredients that manifests in the kind of negative conditioning they carry. Um, what kind of negative conditioning? I, I Believe a negative conditioning. Um, part of most women's conditioning is to believe, or to us, to first of all establish, and then to believe in power centers as uh, sources that exist primarily outside of themselves, that have authority um, to basically dispense um, values models, uh, rules that govern appearance, presentation, goals, directions, um, power centers that dispense approval and disapproval, acceptability and unacceptability. And a part of most women's conditioning is to perceive those power centers as existing primarily outside of themselves and to believe in them as being somewhat infallible. Right. Um, the destructive effects of that, of course, uh, manifest then primarily in have, uh, pursuing, pursuing uh, models, uh, trying to become or conform to models that are actually dispensed, that carry the associations of being acceptable, worthy, uh, feminine, um, to do that, of course, uh, to follow that way of living is basically a way of disempowering themselves. It's a way of women disempowering themselves um, because there's a constant looking outwardly for uh, credential, for having uh, uh, succeeded or failed in so conforming to those models. So the negative conditioning is to place authority and power 
outside of oneself as a woman. And to see Which, that as being the final arbiter right. of worthiness. And and the, and where is it placed? It's placed in um, anything that's perceived that's to have authority. It can be placed in um, social values. It can be placed in uh, religious and spiritual institutions, traditions and authorities. It can be placed in um, professional um, dictates for how to be. Right. Now, would you say that... Um, Anything that seems to have the power to dispense acceptability. So would you say then that women are choosing to give this power elsewhere? Is it's it a, not a choice, not no. a conscious choice. It's a collusion. But between it's an unconscious, it's a collusion between women and um, those who are either set up or set themselves up as authorities. But it's an unconscious choice. It, it's rooted in not knowing any source of inner empowerment. Right. So, a, a woman, as you point, it's not. It's not a choice in the sense of it being a conscious choice. What women, many people, but women don't. Since we're speaking particularly about women, what women don't necessarily acknowledge, as long as they're alienated from any source of inner empowerment is that power centers only exist as long as they're believed in. Right. And that's an example. Yeah. For example, um, the, um, the church might say it's totally wrong to have an abortion. Mm. Um, with, with all the implications that has for women who have abortions. Um, if that power center is not believed in, then those dictates fall in, the va in a vacuum. The, the uh, Taiwan monks might say women can't be bhikkhunis. If that power isn't given right. to the monks, then that dictate doesn't have any meaning. No. So the power center only exists as long as it's believed to be a power center. Right. So a woman in particular areas of her life may say, yes, I'm doing this. I keep transferring this power to these voices of authority, and I can't stop myself from doing it. I don't believe in myself, in my gender. What does a woman then do? Well, I think if 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 um, if a woman comes to acknowledge that she's actually doing that, <coughs> actually giving her power away. Mm. Um, that first step in being conscious is also the first step of bringing about change. Because surely then there, there follows upon that, particularly if she has support and looks for support, there comes the courage then to question just how infallible those power centers are. Right. So, so how would you, in this context, define power? What, what would you say? I define power as, as an energy that holds the capacity to transform or change. Right, and therefore need not necessarily being negative or positive. In itself, it's neither negative or, po or, or positive. Um, it is an energy that 
everyone has within themselves. What we are primarily exposed to our, our exposed to in our lives is a degeneration of power. Right. Power that is backed by motives of fear and insecurity, which then assume standpoints. What about in, say, in a whole variety of situations, of institutions, where the powers to be at present are very unwilling to change? They don't wish to give up themselves as a power centre. Well, they exist. Eh? They exist, it's a fact. Right. So what is the relationship of, what's your view of whether women continue to work within it? But where does a woman draw the line between saying, this church, this political grouping, this whatever it might be, is, can't be worked with, is unacceptable? Then you have to step out of it. Um, in the sense that uh, to resist gives as much, uh, on one level, to resist negative power structures gives as much power to them as to subscribe to them. And it still that? supports the belief that they exist as a center that is worthy of obedience or resistance. Now, no, no, that that is on the basis of what you said of they are mm. unwilling to change. Mm. Now, many power centers, um, of course, they have an investment in being a power center. Mm. They don't want to be, they don't want to lose that, otherwise they wouldn't be a power center. And their investment is, is propped up by a whole, by um, often unfathomable depths of insecurity and fear. Um, so, of course, ch the desire to change mm will initially bring a lot of resistance from the power center. Um, it depends. You, it, it's important for women to look, to look for radically new sources of power and new ways of using power. Mm -hmm. Because to operate on the same level of power centers that are supported basically by fear and insecurity will never bring about any change. If, we can, if women can discover sources of power within themselves, pure power that's rooted in the capacity to change and transform, that's rooted in inner trust, that's rooted in wisdom, they will not struggle. In the sense of for and against. Mm -hmm. In the sense of struggling to convert or to manipulate. If they are established in inner trust, in real wisdom, they can say, look, this is what we are saying. This is where the truth is. This is what we understand to be true. Can you hear it? Mm. If there's an absolute unwillingness to listen, then the ingredients for change are not there. No. If there's a, the absolute unwillingness to listen from established power structures, then the ingredients for change are simply not there. And one way that women can offer change using power in a qualitatively different way is just to offer them clear alternatives. See, wouldn't it be that in a number of cases, um, resistance as a sustained activity is valid? What I've got yes. in mind, eh? Yes, 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 it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. For example, I mean, I, I'll give you an example of, of what I feel, um, in some ways, a position that I found myself in, 
is that my karma is, is somehow to rub up a lot against traditional Buddhists. I mean, mm. that's just what it is. Um, you know, and being nominated to this position of being a women's spokesperson. Now, I know that in Theravada Buddhism, it is not going to change towards women. No. The rules don't allow it. The change will not happen. Mm. Now, that means doesn't mean that I say, well, forget it. I'm not going to deal with you guys anymore. You know, I'm stepping out, as some women have done. Um, it means that I'm going to constantly, again and again and again, just speak the truth as I see it. Mm. And hope that somewhere it will touch someone. And mm. maybe I, I encourage them to question. Mm. But that doesn't mean at the same time that I wouldn't explore viable alternatives. Mm. And I, I wouldn't feel bound uh, to uh, remaining mm, within that context. Mm. I would feel that, yes, I have to speak the truth because it's necessary that that's heard. But at the same time, I don't feel bound to it and I feel very open and uh, feel that it's very needed that I offer viable alternatives. Right. You, you mentioned two or three times now, viable alternatives, fresh ways of working, um, and basically moving out of the old models. Mm -hmm. What sort of things have you got in mind? For example, women's retreats. Right. They are a beginning. Um, Women's retreats are a beginning in the sense that there's an environment created there in which there's no struggle. No one has to prove anything. There's no, um, well, basically that's it. No one has to prove anything. There's no struggle. Mm. Um, uh, it's a way of empowering women inwardly. They feel very empowered by that environment. Mm. They feel very empowered also by a kind of trust that's created in that environment that is very conducive to developing inner trust. Um, out of that environment, women come out of that environment feeling inwardly to connect with inner sources of power that they haven't been connected with before. Out of that environment, there are coming a whole network of, of structures that support women mm. in a spiritual quest that doesn't um, devalue them because they are women. Networks of women's sitting groups, um, eventually a, a, an ordained order will come. Mm out of that, mm. of women, now, um, that right. hasn't sought permission anywhere. Right. Now, w w in, in this inner change of women meeting together, one of the concerns could be, and how does one guard against this, that it could lead to a certain kind of social isolation. And separatism. And separatism. Mm, it, that's I mean, the it must usual. be a risk factor. Um, what, what safeguards there? In my experience, the emphasis that I give to retreat safeguards it. Um, because I'm not interested in blame. Mm. Um, oh, I can't believe it. Okay, I, I emphasize very much the, um, the uh, not wasting energy by consuming, well, anyone consuming themselves with, uh, or concerning themselves with blame saying, this is the source of my problems, external, outside of myself. I also don't, I also present any kind Which of... Which is still to make it a power center. Yes, of course. Mm. I don't, I, um... I emphasize that it's a way of um, evading our own uh, 
participation in that destructive power system by displacing the responsibility for it, for it, saying it's all outside. Also, don't make any enemies. You know, saying, um, you know, we have to protect ourselves against men. It is not men as such. Um, I mean, on one level, men seem to benefit from the power systems that exist, but essentially everyone loses. And then, I made that very clear. Uh, no one actually benefits. Our, our in a power structure which is um, hierarchical and male-privileged, do men lose as well? What kind of ways are they losing out? Because they become so narrow, because any kind of power structure that's really hung on to in a way that resists any kind of intrusion or challenge or question that rests so much on fear and insecurity just breeds so much tightness and narrowness and inner alienation mm. from a very open, receptive way of being. I mean, anyone who exists as, as a leader or as a center in a power structure has to concern themselves so much with defense and protection and equally with aggression. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a grave loss to anyone in that position. Right. Now, some... And, and then let me finish with yeah. the separatist so, thing, because right. that, that's important. Right. Um, When, when I, um, in my emphasis, sort of my own way of seeing, women's retreats do not exist as um, opposites to mixed retreats or males, male retreats. That's not the purpose of them at all. It's basically to provide a particular kind of environment which emphasizes or provides the maximum degree of trust and ease mm. of communication and inner exploration. Um, and for many women that happens primarily in, in a single-sex environment, at least at some point in their mm. lives. Um, it's also not separatist because it's not an attempt to create yet another institution. Mm. It's not an attempt at women's spirituality or a women's retreat. Uh, having that kind of environment is not an attempt to provide or create another mm. kind of institution whatsoever with any kind of leader or hierarchy or belief system. Um, and that's very important. If it did that, it would be separatist. Mm. It would be separatist. But the basic or the fundamental lessons or themes in that environment are opening. Real opening. Right. And not closing off to anything. And really recognizing the need that women have, as much as men have, to really bring into a, into a balanced rapport within themselves the feminine and the masculine dynamics in everything. Not just to promote and value the feminine as being superior to the masculine, but to balance the feminine and the masculine. A couple of things here. Um, what, firstly, what would you describe as being the masculine and the feminine? I, I, use, I don't use those concepts as being gender-oriented. They're no. evocative concepts. Mm. Um, they're evocative concepts the way that we usually relate to our inner dynamics. For example, um, uh, 
Receptivity is usually regarded as a feminine quality. Agency is usually regarded as a masculine quality. Pliability is usually regarded as a feminine quality. Uh, discipline is usually regarded as a masculine quality. Emotion is usually regarded as a feminine quality, whereas the intellect is usually regarded as a masculine mm. quality. And everyone holds within themselves all of those qualities. Mm. But our conditioning, our physiology, etc., etc., usually leads us to emphasize one over the other often in a way in which they're imbalanced, in a way to, uh, that's to the detriment of our own inner balance. So, because you, you, you use the theme of wholeness quite a lot in your mm -hmm. talks and writings, that wholeness is basically an integration of those kinds it's, of areas. It's a mutual rapport, it's a cooperative relationship mm -hmm. between the variety of dynamics. It's basically a cooperative relationship between that, those, that variety of those dynamics inwardly. Now, one has, um, of course, amongst women as with men, a diversity of perceptions and values. What is your response to a, a number, and possibly a considerable number, of women who take quite a traditional, if not conservative, view of women's place and women's roles, mother, wife, home. There's nothing wrong with those roles. I don't find mm -hmm. anything wrong with those roles whatsoever. And I feel that, uh, that all of us have to find our place in life in which we feel most free and most fulfilled. The problem with the roles is if they're adopted out of fear or out of mm. insecurity. And then they become not roles anymore, they become our realities. And when they do become that, it becomes impossible to grow very much. You said they become realities? Much. Our you total mean? realities. I am a mother, and that's what I am. Or I am a wife, and that is all that I am, all that I ever will be. And then there are... What is the relationship of fear to saying, when I'm just, I will always be a wife, I will always be a mother, that's my position in life. Where is the fear? It's assuming a conclusion about one's identity um, that safeguards against the insecurity of freedom or against the threat of having to grow, to expand oneself beyond those roles. So in other words, if one identifies oneself with a role, one is inhibiting oneself basically limit your sense of possibility. Now, some women will say, look, I haven't got any choice. I'm house and role bound. That is, I don't have any uh, time right. to, to grow, to right. go on retreats, to right. be with other women. What, how, do, how do you respond? But the physical environment or the outer manifestation of the role doesn't imply being bound in itself. I mean, uh, many women can be, um, one woman can be in that role, in that environment, and feel incredibly bound and want to be so. Another woman can be in the same environment, the same role, and not feel the same at all. Right. Feel that they're still exploring inwardly, their own horizons, their own possibilities, feel vital in their own growth. It's not the role or the lifestyle, or the choice that's inhibiting. It is the degree to which we subscribe to it as being our total reality. So, in other words, amongst 
women in fairly traditional kind of roles, as I just mentioned, uh. defined roles, that there's some shift or attitude of mind which varies considerably. Exactly, yeah. And what, what, what is it you sense what, that in your contact with women and yourself, because you're a mother and a partner, that makes that shift? For one, it's bondage, and, the, and for the other, it's part of an expansive life process. I would say the primary factor is a sense of vision, a sense of inner vision, an outer vision. Um, if there's no inner connection, mm. the outer becomes all important. In other words, What's the role, the function, uh, the position, uh, all the jobs or the chores that it entails, it becomes all-important and all-consuming because in many ways it serves a purpose. It provides a sense of meaning, it provides a sense of identity, and it provides a purpose in life and a sense of being needed. If there's an inner connection, the outer doesn't have that emphasis. It is a part of one's life. It is not the whole of one's life. It is one way of making ourselves, our inner life, visible in the world. Yes. For example, being a mother can be a very strong and clear way of making one's inner life visible in the world. Um, it's not a credential that makes me something. It comes the inner to the outer, rather the outer to the inner. And, and one of the things with this um, is that in when there is identification with a role and a fixation with it, the role is, itself can get exhausted. Yes. Children grow. It does get exhausted. Women, the, the partner leads. Inevitably, it does get exhausted. And then what most women in that position are faced with, if, if there's no inner connection, is a vast sense of emptiness. A vast sense of emptiness and loss and often interminable grief because there's nothing there anymore so, to make them be someone in the world. Mm. Their way of making themselves visible is taken away and then what is left is a, is a feeling of just being nothing. Mm. And because it, it has the, 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 those kind of parallels in other areas, a man whose life has been career-oriented. Career. Mm -hmm. right. It depends how you use your outer life, whether it is a way of um, offering you a slot of being someone, or whether it's an outer manifestation of your inner life and a way of making that visible. Mm -hmm. Because if it's a way of making it yourself visible, then it's constantly undergoing change, as your inner, inner connection constantly undergoes change. Mm -hmm. Your outer life also opens up to all manner of new possibilities, and you're never dependent on the role, or the possession, or the career, or the identity to be someone. Right. Did, um, what um do you think are the major ways which women enter into the process of waking, awakening? I mean, would you say that they're different from 
men in any way? Are there particular characteristics that stand out? Well, I think there are things that stand out, no, but I don't, know, don't think they're particularly specific to women. Mm. Um, often it's crisis. Mm. Often it's crisis. It's loss, mm. either through death or rejection, um, or the loss, as you just mentioned, of an identity or a function in life, the threat of that, the sense of identity being threatened. It's often crisis. Mm. Sometimes it is just a feeling of... Um, inner discontent that can't be ignored, staying within an environment where everything may seem superficially and outwardly comfortably and smooth, and yet feeling just restless within it and unfulfilled, feeling that there's something missing. Um, at times, it's, it's, it's not so much based on something negative happening. At times, it is based simply on a growing sense of inner vision or an intuition of a woman's own potential. And this, this um, unfoldment at the present time, what's your sense of it in its historical perspective? At the present well, at time? the moment, I think it, it's, um, it's often being inspired by um, the outer. For example, the stereotypes for women now are so radically being questioned. Um, you know, even just 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, a woman's place in life for most women was pretty well ordained from the time she was born. Mm. Um, you know, she used to be a wife, she used to be a mother, you know, maybe have a little job on the side <laughs> to earn her pocket money or whatever. Um, 10 years ago, all that was, 15 years ago, all that was questioned women were really thrown into a whole new, um, it's thrown into a real identity crisis, uh, where that was said, again, often by outer authorities, that it was no longer right or enough to do that. And um, new expectations were dispensed about being liberated, uh, about being feminist, about being independent, about being strong, which through countless women into having to really re-examine their whole position in life and their whole position in relationship to themselves. Now something else has changed again. Uh, the new expectations basically is that women should be superwomen. That's the current expectation for women. We should be liberated, strong, independent. We should be able to pursue a career, be professional, uh, be financially stable and independent at the same time. We should be able to be competent and good mothers and run good households. That's the new expectation for women. It's an extraordinary one. It's a combination of two past ones. And now women are expected to be superwomen. And that's the pressure on women now. It's a whole new identity which creates an enormous amount of pressure. For many women, again, it makes it, women have to question who they are because they are exposed to so many changing expectations. In the past 30 years, much more than men, so many changing expectations and models of who they should be that women have to question a lot and deeply who they are and where they're going in their lives. Who's or what is setting up Standards. The standards. Literature, 
movies, the media, um, example, what is praised, the women who are praised in our world, whether it's Nancy Reagan or um, someone else, the women you know who win the awards for being women of the year, the women who make, um, you know, who, who we see on television as being um, admirable, models are constantly set up by what by the input we receive, and it's primarily through um, example, to example through through media, and through exit through example. Except it's, it's almost impossible now for a woman to adopt a lifestyle that a woman adopted 25 years ago without being questioned, either by her next-door neighbor, the woman that she meets in the store, uh, the man she might meet, or her own children. It's almost impossible. In, in, a, in a way, from what you're describing at the moment, it's as though um, a woman can feel, in a way, out of touch with herself and unfulfilled as a mother and partner, and also in an imitative lifestyle of the male model hmm. of career, hmm. social success, hmm. that she is almost, if she identifies with any of the current models, hmm. She loses either way, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think women are being forced to grow. Now, some, some people may see that as being negative. I mean, on one level, this pressure is, is very negative because it doesn't give women enough space to really encourage um, inner inquiry and questioning. Mm. At times, there's not the space because the momentum is so strong and the pressure is so mm. strong. Um, the face of the ideal woman stares at us all the time stares at women all the time. I, I notice you can say that to any woman and she'll know exactly what I mean. The face of the ideal woman stares at us all the time. But what is the impact of that? When I, for example, was in a newsagent today and there must have been two complete bookshelves of women's magazines, mm. yeah. every one having and a very attractive woman staring yeah, out of yeah. it. For example, I ask women on retreat, how many hours do you think in your life you spent looking in a mirror? And why do you do it? And for most women, it's thousands, thousands and thousands of hours. And it's not looking in the mirror, just seeing reflected back an image. It's looking in the mirror for the ideal woman. You know, do I have the right kind of face? Do I have the right haircut? Do I have the right weight? Do I have the right appearance? And, and something that I say to women on retreat, the number of collective hours we have spent looking in the mirror, we could have changed the world. We could have changed the world with that energy. And most of that energy that's been expended has been primarily a destructive energy because it's been an undermining energy because no one, or maybe 0.0001% of women in the world find the face of the ideal woman in the mirror even those who are socially regarded as being very There's beautiful. always insecurity. There's always someone better. Plus the aging process. Of course. What can you say? You know, no one can defend themselves against the crow's feet, the wrinkles, the, the excess fab. No one can defend themselves against their bodies. It's an enormous pressure. But, as I was saying, on one level, some 
that pressure can be negative. On another level, the pressure that so much questioning women's place in the world is a very um, positive and fruitful pressure if it's used skillfully. Because it can lead not to so much looking outwardly, to hurriedly pursue this variety of models, but to looking inwardly and to say, do I really want any of them? And a lot of women are doing that. They're looking inwardly and saying, hey, look, you know, 30 years ago, women were binding their chests. 20 years ago, women were getting hormone injections to have four breasts. Now, they have to dress up as men in order to be professionals. That, just the very facts that are staring so many women in the face is making many women look inwardly and saying, hey, do I really want any of those models? So you're saying, are you saying that the more as it were, blatant, if not crude, the message goes out to women about what they should be. Mm. And women give, also give themselves, mm. in, a, in a way, that the reverse of it is that women will, are, will and are questioning. Yes, yes. A lot of women are questioning. Many, many women are questioning. And finding that the models are just not enough. It's just not a worthy pursuit. It's just not a path to acceptability. It's not a path to worthiness. It's not a path to fulfillment, any of those models. And that is the fruitful effect of that pressure. But for many women, they're still unfortunately caught up in the negative mm. effects because for many women, their conditioning is so much oriented around being acceptable, being approved of, um, that the models still are very magnetic. But I can, I can imagine, I mean, a number of, uh, say, say you take with television as opposed mm. to media, there are a number of women in a TV career, the interviewer, the mm. present, pres presenter, who must know, in a way, the way that they hopefully are being manipulated into being role models of success. Mm. When I heard a teenager the other day say, I just, what's that woman's name, right? I, you know, I just love to be like her. Mm. And yeah. that kind of uh, Im imitation factor is very, I think, is very, very strong one in young young people. Maybe for young, but both both genders. Yeah. And I just wonder, you know, how though there's inquiry, how the shifts are going to be made. In because a really by women who are successful. Um, questioning uh, the the goodies that they get for being successful. Um, for example, many women who are in successful positions, I mean, they're very much involved. Some of them are very much involved in playing the game. I mean, the presentation game, how they should look, da 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 da, da all the attributes of success. Um, when women come on retreats now, the first thing, I, one of the first things I ask them, uh, in the first night, it's okay, how many images did you have about me? And they all have them. They all have them. Of what I'm going to look like, how I'm going to sound, how I'm going to present myself because I'm the teacher. And I asked them right in the beginning, what are the images you've got about me? Because as soon as you come in here, if you have those images, you're either going to expect me to fulfill them, mm -hmm. or you're going to want to model yourself after mm -hmm. them, and both of them are direct ways of alienating yourself from what's actually happening. 
but, but right, that, I mean, that's true with our expectations and our images. But a person might say, yes, but don't we need role models? In a way, we do. you we might do. be a role model we for do. progressive spirituality. But role models that are based on actuality, role models that are not based on fantasy. So role models that are not based on still based on those previous models that we brought with us about what we would like to become. You know, right. because, uh, you know, for, for, you know, it's no good to emulate someone because they seem to have power, authority, uh, control, or lots of spiritual achievements. That's no reason to emulate yourself after someone. Mm. It is worthwhile to emulate yourself after someone if that person, you know, if that model encourages you to find the truth about yourself, not to conform or to copy who they are. So in other words, you're saying or implying that one kind of role model is simply um, projection and imitation, and the other is with regard to depth. Yes. As it encourages, yes. it goes back to oneself in some way. It goes back to yourself instead of going outwardly. As, an, as still another pattern to imitate. Mm. And we might, we might say that many of the quote-unquote famous role models amongst women and men are such that we never actually hear about their inner feelings and experiences. Yes, of course, of course. Of course. We actually have no idea what their inner life is like. Of course. I mean, many women who come on retreats, I mean, one thing that they express is how much they appreciate having a teacher who's a woman. Mm. who can speak in a way that they understand, um, that they can feel some rapport with. Um, and that that's wonderful to have a few models. But I feel women are very fortunate in having very few models. They are fortunate in having... having very few models. Because if you have no model, no sure voices who are going to say, do this, this is the right way to do it, this is the proper way to do it, if you do it this way, you get the rewards, if you do it this way, you're approved of, if you do it this way, you're assured of progress. If you don't have those models, you have an enormous amount of freedom. Because where do you turn except inwardly? Where do you turn? You have nowhere to turn except inwardly. You have nowhere to turn outside of yourself to any authority who's going to say, you're right, you're wrong, you're doing well, you're doing badly, you're progressing, you're, reg you're regressing, I praise you, I blame you. You have nowhere to turn except inwardly. And that takes an enormous amount of courage. And it's much harder. But I feel it's in many ways um, very, a very, very free place to be. So, that, I mean, this is obviously quite contrary to the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom says go for the model. Yes, yes. But in that not, not having the model, which is very freeing, I agree, and uh, liberating, um, it may not necessarily contribute to a, a liberating feeling inside. Not necessarily. Not so necessarily. What, it it takes a lot of skill. It takes um, it means that women have to call upon some inner, very necessary inner qualities for their own development. They have to call upon um, the willingness to accept failure and mistakes, mm. not to assume standpoints. Because if you have no clearly defined path for you, you are going to at times adopt paths that lead you just to dead ends. Mm. And it's very necessary that then to be able to have the humility to say, I was wrong and to start again. Right. It takes um, 
an enormous willingness to question, mm. to inquire, not to assume any standpoints of I know and I have and I am, mm. because that is a real tendency when you're not following some, or when you don't necessarily have an authority to guide you to say, to point out where your standpoints are. You have to be incredibly wary of those concepts of I know and I have. Mm. You have to be willing to listen to the guidance of others and the feedback of others. It's a much harder path, I feel, for mm. many women. It's much harder. It calls upon some inner qualities which are not easy ones to cultivate. They're not that reassuring. Mm. You know, questioning, not assuming standpoints, the humility to make mistakes, mm. the willingness to start over. Um, I feel, though, I feel though, that in many women's development, that they do form an inner vision and a vision of life which is enormously strengthening and empowering. I feel underneath women's negative conditioning, many women connect as soon as they begin really to sit and be still with themselves, whether it's in a traditional mode or in a non-traditional mode. What they share and what I hear echoed time and time again is a deep, deep vision of interconnectedness and oneness and a deep, deep inner morality that's really rooted in that vision of interconnectedness. And that if women can really listen to that and keep hearkening to that, they don't make so many mistakes. Mm. They don't make so many mistakes. Because and uh, it's antithetical to that, to assume standpoints, mm. to say, I know, to adopt distorted uses of power. So what I am... Hearing here, which is fascinating, is that in getting in touch in the way that you describe, there emerges organically um, an interconnectedness and simultaneously it's liberating. Yes, that's. Um, that, is, that is the vision that I hear echoed in almost all women. They connect within themselves and with all of life, with a true vision of interconnectedness. And they know what comes from that. They know that the empowerment and the effectiveness and the trust and the wisdom that comes from that. And it's a process which has its own momentum and which is very organic. What one say in that vision and realization, um, would one speak of paths or developing qualities or is it somehow fulfilling unto itself? Is it does it have that kind of immediacy? What would you say? It has It's very liberating. It's very liberating. It, it is the source of most women's empowerment, the, the way in which they're empowered to discard negative conditioning. And it's very important to understand and, and to, un to truly understand that even the historical context of that vision, I mean, not, not just in the last hundred years, anywhere there is recorded anything of women in spirituality, it is the root of their vision. It's the root of their spirituality. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. It is what women have spoken about for generations upon generation upon generation. Mm. It is nothing new. And yet it, it is totally new. 
for the women who, who discover it now, when they, when they sit, when they're still, when they look inwardly, that vision is, is totally a replica of what a woman who've gone before, but it is totally new to that woman who sees it. Mm. 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 I mean, there's an enormous spiritual heritage that women have. And, and, and it's a spiritual heritage that has survived every single tradition. It's in and through every tradition. And it's never been erased or modified by any tradition. Whether it's in Buddhism or whether it's in Christianity, whether it was in the pagan tradition, it's the same vision. And it's never different. Mm. And, and women, contemporary women today, despite the differences in their conditioning and their lifestyles and their externals, and they're still and look inwardly, they connect with the same vision. They speak with the same voice. And, and they may not have never read anything before. They may have never touched in anything historically about women's spirituality. They still speak with the same voice. Mm, that's mm. I mean, it, unfortunately, and I think you referred to this in your book, that in referring to the past and these spokespersons of religious and spiritual life, it's the men who seem to have done most of the recording, I don't Oh, there's quite a lot recorded for women. Mm. There's quite a lot. There's quite a wealth of it, actually. <laughs> um, it's, it, it has never been until, well, recently it's been much more published, but there's actually quite a wealth of literature. Mm. It's, it's usually not given much credence or not quoted, not looked upon as authority or source of, of authority, but there is actually quite a wealth, but it's not a visible wealth. It's not very visible. Mm. It's becoming more visible. It's much and more one of the things visible. which becomes apparent in talking to you is that women's uh, liberation and interconnectedness has such widespread ramifications for family, for social realities, political realities, oh, yes. religious yes, realities. Yes. yes, it's only beginning. It's only beginning. The effects of women being more conscious, which it, I feel is really, um, I mean, it's, it's such a, a process and a movement which is escalating so quickly at the moment mm. that its implications have hardly begun to be felt. But they will be. I mean, I feel it, it's, it's a process from which there's no turning back. And I feel it's a process which is going to bring enormous transformations to every level of our, of our, of our world. Our political structures, our social values, our spiritual values, mm. it, I feel it is going to change them all. Mm. Yeah, fascinating times. Good, very good. Any more? I think we've covered a fairly good mm. ground. Range and range of uh, perceptions. All right, Christine, that's excellent. Good. Good. You've got six. Good.